HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. Hi guys, I'm Jamie Oliver and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. How amazing. For the past decade, they've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and so much more. It's been 10 years, and they're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, I'm Jimmy Carboni, the host of Beer Sessions Radio. We've got a special show today. We'll be talking about lagers. It's uh, January 15th, 2019, and we're really looking forward to the show. It's also the 10th anniversary of Heritage Radio Network. So big shout out to everybody who's been part of this, this network for so long. And uh, thank you guys for, for coming on today. So special guest, um, check lager, you know. One of my uh, favorite uh, beer personalities, as well as beer importers, uh, Mr. Mateus Needhart of Be United is with us. Um, Mateus, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. You know, we were on a few years ago. We, w- we went up to your compound in uh, Oxford, <laughs> Connecticut, and we uh, tasted beers directly from the tanker. And, um, you know, there's a lot of great stories that you have. And I just want to give a big shout out. If you don't know Be United, um, they've been importing some of our favorite finest specialty beers for a long time. We're going to hear that story today. And he brought along with us, everybody say hello. We've got a couple of Be United reps. Hey, Jimmy. This is George, also with Be United. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm Michael Opolensky. Hi. And uh, a beer writer who uh, puts out my favorite weekly uh, top 10 beer stories. What's up, Jimmy? This is Chris McClellan. How you doing? How are you, brew enthusiast? So, Mateus, you know, we, l- a couple months ago, I, I reached out and said, you know, what, what's a good story for the radio? And you... Uh, came back and told us about the Czech lagers. So let's talk about lagers and how it's changed, you know, seeing what's going on in the market and the special quality that, you know, you've brought today. Well, lagers, basically the bottom uh, fermenting beer stars have not really any, 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 um, anything of success here in the United States for the past 20, 25 years. Um, the entire craft beer revolution here in the United States, m- maybe going back to 1980, 1985 or so, everything was about ales. Um, basically, as a, a counterpoint to, to the international kind of mass lagers that were uh, available at that time. Um, so nobody really cared about uh, lagers, bottom fermenting beers, and, and over the past 25, 30 years or so, um, the market has incredibly changed over the past two or three, four years, and a lot of beer... F- Geeks, a lot of beer friends, a lot of beer connoisseurs have now discovered um, bottom fermenting beers, lager beers, which are very, very different from the ales. And when you talk about bottom fermenting beers, lager beers, you have got to talk about Czech Republic. Um, it's this is where all a lot of these things started um, be, um, in, in the 19th century, and and uh, so um, th- th- there's so much pride in in, in that industry in, in Czech Republic, but. 
the thing is, it's extremely difficult to get these wonderful beers into the United States. Not the bigger breweries, that's easy, but the smaller breweries, um, all basically uh, uh, around the, the city, the great city of, of Prague or so, uh, they would not ship their beer um, outside the local area. Um, so this is where our infrastructure, our, t- our temperature control, tank containers come into play that really allowed us, allowed, <coughs> convinced allowed us to convince them to give us a chance. Wow. And George, how's it going on, on the market here? So you, tell us what you're doing. You're bringing in the beer from Czech to New York. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So as Matthias mentioned, um, we uh, have uh, proprietary temperature controlled tank containers, um, which uh, are uh, quite large. They have four compartments and each compartment holds about 35 hectoliters worth of beer. They're temperature and pressure controlled. So we... Uh, shipped one of these over to the Czech Republic, um, and uh, two uh, of our Czech breweries filled uh, this container. So the tanks go right to the brewery. Yes, and then the brewery will fill uh, the beer basically from the fermentation tank or bright tank uh, into uh, the tank container, um, and then the tank container will hold the beer at about zero degrees Celsius uh, the entire length of the of the journey from. Uh, the Czech Republic, all the way to us in Oxford, Connecticut, where we will then package the beer. So it's it's really as fresh as it possibly could be. Uh, at zero degrees Celsius, of course, there's not really a lot of uh, development uh, fermentation-wise in the beer, and it keeps it very stable. Uh, so there's really no better way to bring beer over the water. Uh, and it's because of uh, the temperature-controlled tank containers that we were able to even do this, because you don't really see uh, a lot of Pilsner that's as fresh. That's great. Let's talk about big picture. So Czech Republic, Czech in Prague area, lagers their beer. Uh, we know that our buddies uh, in, in Salem, Massachusetts, Chris Loring at Notch Brewing, he really respects those styles and, and is making uh, some Czech lagers, including dark lagers up there. Um, tell us what, like, a little bit of the backstory, Mateus. You know, there's some relationship between, between Prague and Bamberg in Germany, some of the history of, of lager and, and why it means so much to that part of the world. Well, ales historically couldn't, re- uh, breweries could not really, uh, let's put it this way, they could really develop lagers and bottom fermenting beer so well because the temperature, the climate is very different in that part of, of Europe compared to like um, uh, Italy and, uh, not Italy, but Belgium and other c- and countries. So it's, it's much colder there. So they had from the get-go before in the 19th century, all these scientists figured out what, what's actually happening with the yeast or so. They were able actually to, to brew bottom fermenting beers um, and, and they, they basically lagered it in, in their cellars. So there's a huge history uh, of that as well. An amazing connection between Bamberg in, in the northern part of, of Bavaria and, and, and Prague. Historically, they have always respected each other very, very much. When you actually go to Prague and talk to all these wonderful uh, Czech uh, breweries, they have no respect for anybody else. They say, <laughs> oh, the Belgians, and that's a different world, but the really true um, art and science of brewing uh, uh, takes place, happens here in, in, in the Czech Republic, except for one small area and they say they fully respect the the Bamberg area the Franconia area um, but they they basically say they are coming close to, as close to them in terms of art and science so it, it's kind of a, a wonderful partnership uh, Matthias Strom of Echtschlengelen we are tasting the Helles Mertzen here later in, in the shower so he um, he explained it to me in fact uh, the, um, the German emperor and German um, the German uh, government was run by uh, by an emperor, so um, up all the way to to the end of the Second World War or so. He had two uh, residences: one was in Prague and one was in Bamberg. So that's already the connection. Um, the the very famous Sars hops um, was uh, traded at the Bamberg um, Exchange. Um, and today, Bamberg and Prague are basically partner cities. So it has historically always been a very, very close um, relationship. They are very, very close uh, to each other, Bamberg and, and Prague, about 200 miles. So it's, 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 um, it's, it's two distinct um, areas, uh, Bamberg and Franconia. They are very proud of their smoked beers um, and, and would never give up on it. And, and it, it's similar to, to the Czech Republic, to, to their brewing. They would never, never uh, give up on their classic historic way of brewing their beers the the bavaria uh today as we know bavaria 
um, and the Czech Republic were actually linked historically. Uh, so they were both part of, of the Austrian Empire, which was part of this larger German confederation in the like late modern period. And we're talking like around the 1840s when Pilsner was first brewed. So there is a, a, a political and economic connection between between these two uh, these two parts of the world or parts of Europe. Uh, and in fact, uh, of course, lager itself was born in Bavaria and then later obviously made its way to Bohemia by way of uh, Pilsner. So the thing I really want to unpack too, just to your to your story, is in 2019 with you know the rise of um, just so much great local beer here in the U.S. Thinking about the audience for this particular podcast, um, Czech brewing culture remains, I think, a mystery or and or completely off the radar for almost all beer drinkers in the U.S. Right, the culture, the understanding, the way you order, right, the way it's described. The idea of ordering on strength and color, the idea of what makes a good beer in, you know, in terms of the Czech perspective on that. I would say, I would kind of make a bold statement, but I'd say that there are most breweries are proper, or most breweries, most beer consumers have no idea, right, what Czech beer culture is like. You know, it's, and I and yeah, I think they really Chris, only you, you got me. only really know it. <laughs> let's, know? Mateus, let's take that and then we're gonna go through how do you order beer in, in the Czech Republic? <laughs> go. Tell us. You said by strength, by color. No, I mean I, I know the basics, but what I but no, no, but we don't. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. yeah. So, so if you're in the Czech Republic, um, you would, you know, pub culture is so strong there. There's a custom of ordering at the, you know, ordering at the bar. If you're at the brewery, there are, there's often a brew pub attached most of the time. Um, but I, I can't speak to too many details. I actually do want to hear kind of your, you know, the the kind of expert insight here a little bit more about. Um, because most of my experience and most American drinkers' experience with Czech lager is either something they heard about or something like Pilsner or Kell, mm-hmm. right? Which, right? Which is the only Pilsner that they really would have consumed at scale, right, mm-hmm. um, across the U.S. And it's really the only, I think, legal brewery that can call itself a Pilsner in the Czech Republic anyway, right? So right. Um, there's a lot of that going on. But the strength and color thing is basically you've got a certain category or Play-Doh yeah, um, which is the that's y- what you go. Yeah. I mean, when you go there, basically you you <coughs> on on the chalkboard. So, so you have numbers there. You know, you, it's like 10, tw- 11, 12, 13, 14. They, all you know, it, it um, describes plateau or the original gravity, what whatever you want to do, and then it gives a color to it to it. So you go in there and say, okay, I want the the fourteen degree uh, dark, and and then that's what you're going to get. But it's not really <coughs> a pilsner like. But what Pilsner or Quell is, it's these are bottom fermenting beers. They are they are um, all um, the, the really great ones. Uh, they're all done in open fermenters. Um, they all go through a double decoction. They're really classic way of of dealing with uh, bottom fermenting beers. They they are unf- they are unfiltered and pasteurized. So these are very very complex uh, bottom fermenting beers, um, yet very simple, v- extremely drinkable. And there's a lot of variation too. Obviously, of course, you have as Chris said, varying strengths and different colors as well and if like if you went into a pub in the czech republic and asked for pilsner they would give you pilsner or kell uh so to ask for like a for a pale lager it's a totally different term uh svetle pivo is what they refer to like a pale lager as it's not pilsner in the czech republic pilsner is pilsner or kell that's a good point and just to give us a little more perspective i know especially with your german portfolio when I think lager, I'm thinking something like a pilsner. Right. But there are many styles of German beer that are lagers right. that have color. Give us a couple of examples. Well, historically, I mean, I think when you talk about pilsner, you really need to talk about the history of lager in general. Um, and uh, one of the biggest influences on lager historically was the Spaten Brewery um, in Munich. And uh, in the early 1800s, Gabriel Settlemeyer II, who was operating the brewery, he brought a lot of this, like, at the time, cutting-edge technology to lager brewing. Uh, that included, like, using a thermometer, which is a big deal. Yeah. Uh, um, a, a hydrometer. <laughs> that that uh, can't be overstated, though. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a huge deal. The, the level of technology, when you look at the implementation of technology, European brewing technology, from basically the early 1800s on, it almost rides an exponential curve, right, in terms of the application of science to brewing. The way whenever I teach classes on beer, I, I start with you can basically assume all beer before 1850 was was awful, right, right for the most part, because 
compared to today um, in reference to a lot of the beer that you're used to and the standards that you're used to. It just was not there. No, no, definitely not. And and the English were really the pioneers in this. They were the ones that first started using steam power and, and thermometers and hydrometers, etc. So they applied all of the science to their beer. And then Gabriel Settlemeyer II, his father was operating the Spaten Brewery in Munich. He actually traveled to the UK to, to really learn from all of these brewers, and he brought all this technology back to Munich and implemented it in their brewery. Then we need to, as you know, some years later, in 1842, or around 1842, uh, in Pilsen, um, they sort of famously, um, in like, I think, 1838 it was, uh, the sort of town council dumped out all of this beer in, in the sort of city center because their brewery at the time was just awful. And they looked to Bavaria uh, for inspiration, and they wanted to brew the then popular lager style. And at the time, it was this very dark lager. Uh, and so they brought over a brewer from Bavaria, a man named Josef Grohl. Um, and then they, in fact, sent an architect to Munich to figure out how to build a proper brewery. And then in 1842, they brewed the first Pilsner. Josef Grohl, he was Bavarian. His whole brewing team was Bavarian. Um, and the rest is history. Uh, and it totally changed lager in general. And this style then quickly started to sort of take over Europe. That, that changed brewing. Yeah. yeah. That's the single most important beer ever made. If you look at the historical, if you look at the trajectory of the beer industry from the 1840s on. Yeah. Right. Big time. Because it, it, its influence was massive. And as we'll see as we, as we drink through some of the beers we have today, um, it influenced brewing culture all over the world. The Germans had to change the way that they brewed. So you saw the birth of things like Dortmund lager, uh, the Helles, the, the Kolsch. And then the English even had to change the way that they brewed ales so that they were lighter and, uh, you know, a bit uh, fresher and sweeter. So what was the first beer that we had? The first beer that we had uh, was uh, from St. George and Brow. Uh, they are a... Uh, very old brewery. They were established in 1624, um, and this is their Keller beer. Yeah, and that's I think is a great example. I would not <clears throat> totally agree um, what Chris and, and George said in terms of that the beers before like 1850 or so were awful. Um, they were pretty, quite, they were different. Pretty bad generalization. I, th- I, <laughs> I, I think they were very different, and there was there was one thing absolutely not um, that they were consistent. But um, because they didn't really know what they were doing so from a scientific perspective. But let's talk about uh, the St. George and um, um, the, the color beer. That goes back to the 16th century where they started to brew it. I would be totally interested in ec- how it actually tasted when, when they did it at around that time. I, would, I, would be- I, would be- I believe that it was an extraordinary beer back then as well. Um, maybe not consistent. Maybe uh, each time you went to the brewery um, and, and had it, it was very different. But it was a, I, I, I think they ha- had figured it out how, how to do it without scientifically knowing um, how, to, how they did it and, and without scientifically be able to control it. Um, Calabria um, has a huge history, goes back 400 years at least. Um, it's a bottom fermenting beer, um, brewed in, 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 uh, in Buttenheim, very close to Bamberg, same area. Uh, um, and um, so they, they basically uh, lagered it uh, in, in, in deep cellars. Um, and basically, they let the, during the, the maturation, they let the CO2, uh, fermentation, they let the CO2 out. Um, so it basically was a, a, a very, uh, was a lager bottom fermenting beer in, with very, very little um, fizz, so to speak. Um, and and uh, uh, a wonderful color, uh, a little bit kind of an amber color, yep. um, a malty color. So, uh, Total opposite to a Pilsner. It was really a, a wonderful. It's, it's a it's a wonderful lager beer. And I, I th- this is a, a beer that um, is very important. I think, or the style in general, uh, as far as like the history of lager goes, uh, because the earliest lagers probably looked something like this, although they would have been a bit darker. But as Matthias was saying, these beers were matured in caves, and historically, uh, way back in the fourteenth, sorry. 15th, 16th century, um, these beers would have been, again, stored in those caves, and those caves would have been, like, packed full of ice so that the beer would, would stay stable over the winter, right. or over the summer months. And but probably also a little bit smoky, because they, it was more or less the only way they could really kill their, their, malt, um, their grains at this time. Yeah, most uh, beer, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. But it was really in these caves 
um, in in Bavaria, mostly in Franconia, where it's really widely believed that the lager yeast strain, as we know it today, like Saccharomyces pistorianus, was born. Uh, it was a cross between a, a cold, tolerant strain of yeast and you know, your Saccharomyces cerasei, your classic ale yeast strain. Uh, so it was in these caves that this this yeast strain was kind of bred over you know centuries, uh, and then. Of course, uh, it was put into use by Gabriel Sedlmeier and all of these breweries in Munich, and then eventually uh, in uh, Bohemia as well, and then all over the world. And I know, I know, Matthias, you must be excited about this this shift we were talking about. You know, what five years, ten years ago, people were really getting into IPAs, and now it, it, I think that whenever I have an, a New York City brewer on the show. They all come to the bar at Roberta's Pizza and they order a German Pilsner. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big change. Uh, you know, even a, even a year ago, that wasn't the case. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's over the past twenty years here um, in in the United States, and and it obviously in all the countries that basically um, have followed the United States craft beer uh, development, and almost every single country um, has has been doing that. Um, it was all about ales. The, the fruity esters uh, were very intriguing. Um, obviously, uh, the, the, the many styles from Belgium uh, impacted a lot, and and um, and I, I I would have never thought, to be very honest, that that craft beer movement would make this huge shift into into a beer in, into a a beer style, the bottom fermenting beers that is so totally different from from the ales. There are basically no fruity esters in there. Um, the, the lower temperature takes it away. Um, you don't have these huge varieties of different styles that you can prove with. Um, they're pretty simple. They're pretty, uh, I don't want to say one-dimensional, but they're very, very straightforward, very simple, yet very complex complicated beers. When you look at an actual English smoked beer, it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful, wonderful lager. Um, when you look at the Unetitschke um, 12-degree Bohemian lager, it's it's a straightforward, it's like about barely 5%, uh, a wonderful lager with, with a wonderful kind of a hoppy um, note in there, a big malt body, finishes dry though, which I really, really love. Um, and, and, and the color beer, the same thing. These are, these are for, for me, <clears throat> when you compare them to ales, much less complicated, but they have, it's, it's, a, it's a, such a wonderful world of beers that this is coming back to the United States is awesome. I'm just nervous really nervous that we will end up where we started with these huge lager beers, uh, almost like, you know, the international uh, mass beer, lager bottom for many beers. I just hope that this will not happen, that people will embrace it and actually will push everybody to a top level in terms of uh, lager brewing. Well, Chris, you know, you studied, Chris, you're also an advanced Cicerone. Give you props. Uh, Congratulations. Um, You know, you're studying a lot of the numbers. You You said that beer imports are up. Where's the where's the market going with loggers, craft loggers? Yeah, I mean we are we are wandering uh, very deep into the land of Chris's opinion right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're not we're not so much in the land of fact. Uh, but that being said, I think that there's two things. So I, I I don't think there's too much doom and gloom in terms of us regressing back to the the land of adjunct light lager uh, for two main reasons. One is people don't really regress in their taste preferences. Um, I'm not saying that there isn't a time and a place for American light lager. Um, but what I am saying is that when you do get a flavor for something and you have an expectation for something, you generally don't lower that expectation over your lifetime, right? So as the education continues, as the access to more beer styles continues, as um, American breweries kind of embrace lager and embrace traditional lagering techniques and brewing styles um, just more sort of more ubiquitously, I think that we're going to see a lot of appreciation for the style, and I do think it's going to grow. Um, because there's so many great breweries in this country now that have popped up in the last five or ten years that have specifically specialized, like Chris Loring at Notch, right? Like Jack's Abbey, like these guys that have done a great job of making really good lager, using lagering techniques, using traditional ingredients, things like that, and making sure that the ingredients speak for themselves, right? Because the big difference is that where the big hazy double IPA, um, you can really mask and hide a lot. You get that viscosity, you get the texture, you obviously get that fruity, dry hop note, right? That can mask a lot of what's going on inside of the beer. Um, there's very little place for something to hide, right? right? So you're going to get the sulfur, you're going to get the DMS, you're going to get the, you know, the overwrought protein, you know, sort of eggy character. Like you're going to get those things if you don't dial it in perfectly, you know? And so I think I have a lot of hope 
And I know that as people drink more and more beer, um, they do sort of tend to go for those sessionable lager styles. The first thing I see on the menu at a brewery, if I see a lager and I go, how's the lager? And they look at me and they go, this is an exciting beer. I, I finally got it. And I go, I, I'll take a pint of that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the first place. Right. That's great. And you know, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. All right. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. As Jamie Oliver says, congratulations, Heritage Radio Network. It's the 10th anniversary or something like that, y'all. Um, wow, we're here at Roberta's Pizza, and I will say this, number one beer at the bar right now is a German pill. So um, we've got a great show. We're talking about lagers and the history of lagers with uh, Mateus of Be United and the crew. So, um, George, the second beer you poured for us yes. is, the, is this Czech lager. Yeah, so this is a Unitiza 12-degree uh, lager. Uh, this, is, uh, this is from the Unitiza Brewery, which is just outside of Prague. Um, and, you know, as we were talking about before, the Czechs really like to sort of organize their beer by strength. So uh, this is their 12-degree uh, lager, uh, very similar to what we would here call a uh, Pilsner. But, of course, it's not called that there. Uh, this beer is produced quite traditionally. Um, it uses all uh, Czech uh, floor-malted uh, barley. Uh, they use uh, hops from the Zatek region, or as we know it, Saz hops. Uh, the beer is uh, open, fermented, and primary, uh, and then obviously cold-conditioned. Uh, and uh, it, it was sent to us unfiltered and unpasteurized, as it should be. Uh, and uh, it's a really special beer and a great example. Let's, let's talk about how you're rolling this out. So, first of all, the Czech brewers were hesitant to, to ship very, overseas. Very, yes, very. And then how, how are you ensuring the freshness... So it's as I as we talked about earlier, it's shipped via the temperature controlled tank containers, uh, and then uh, of course kegged in Connecticut. We are only sending out kegs of this beer, uh, and uh, we're, we're asking the accounts that, that receive this beer to pour it as quickly as they possibly can, and to keep it cold as, as you know all the time. And I know you're on the streets in New York. You know you were you were my rep at Jimmy's Number Forty Three. Where are a couple um, couple bars in the city that are carrying this? Uh, Michael, you want to comment on that one? Uh, a lot, actually. Um, a lot of our customers were really excited about receiving this stuff, mainly because they're an unfiltered, unpasteurized Czech lager was something that I'd say for all intents and purposes, like receiving a really great one in the United States hadn't really been achieved yet. Um, so now that lagers are becoming a lot more popular, like we've already been talking about for the That's, last That was hour, a great statement, Michael. Thank you. You're, you're <laughs> welcome. Um, was, was that, did I step over the line? You did it right. All right. It was just declarative. We like declarative <laughs> statements. You know, it's powerful. There we go. Um, so uh, a lot of customers were really excited about receiving something like this from us uh, through the temperature-controlled tank container because they were um, aware that it would arrive in, like, ultimate uh, freshness. So, well, it's, it's more a question of what 
um, craft beer account in New York didn't pick it up, honestly. Um, the Ginger Man, Haymaker, Gold Star in Brooklyn, Proletariat in uh, the East Village, Spite and Dival picked up some, sort of Torst, um, Owl Farm in Park Slope got some, um, as is on the west side. Um, had a gravity cask of it. I, I'm definitely leaving out a ton of people that picked up this beer. Um, no, but that, that's a good, really that's, that's good, good, uh, yeah, good company. Th- Jimmy's would have gotten one too. Another thing that we did is we were limited to one keg per account. We wanted to make sure that, um, um, obviously we requested, uh, all accounts to, to tap it extremely fast. Um, we don't want them to end up uh, sitting in their cold box. And we know with all of these accounts they have fantastic beer sitting in their cold box um, and, and, and not forget about it. Um, no bottles, no cans, nothing at all, only only, only on, uh, available on draft. That's great. And then you're really proud of this too, aren't you? Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, kind of, because um, we have worked on that for a long time. Um, it sounds like we just started with it in November, but actually one of our um, um, sales managers, he lives in California, Michael Hartman, um, that is, that's his baby. He has been working on that for six or eight years. And it was funny because each time we have a sales meeting where I call in everybody, um, he wanted to present lagers from Czech Republic, and everybody laughed at him and said, okay, don't, don't talk to me about uh, lagers in Czech Republic. The market here in the United States wants com- complicated ales and, and lambics and sour ales and barrel-aged beers. We don't need any, any uh, lagers from, from um, Czech Republic. There's simply no demand there. That was like six, you know, four, six, eight years ago. So he kind of felt really... Um, um, bad that whatever he researched um, was not relevant for us and then uh, everything changed two or three years ago and so he, he obviously goes back there once a year and uh, and then we started uh, he started to have very serious discussions with these breweries but the breweries t- told him there's no way we will give you our beer um, it's far too far away from us um, uh, we have no con- we have no control over it um, and um, so eventually our temperature control tank container concept that was the only that was the one thing that convinced them to to give it a shot can i add something um, as a, a rep for be united having working for the company for 10 years um it was kind of like one of the holes, I think, in our portfolio. Like one of the hallmarks at Be United is um, our portfolio consists of a lot of these different beer styles and breweries that are really deeply um, historic. Uh, Schleinkerla from Bamberg, who we've talked about here. We also import the Schneider Brewery from uh, Bavaria. Um, we have an alt beer from Dusseldorf. And I-, I could go on and on, but it's like really Kolsch, what... Kolsch, Reiser of Kolsch. Yes, thank you. So it's one of, really what Be United was founded on was... Um, these uh, historic breweries and then over time obviously we expanded our portfolio and we started working with a lot newer breweries and like expanding to a, a bit more of like an experimental and innovative uh, portion of the portfolio but again like the the foundation of be united is like these historic breweries and like one of the um, elements that we didn't have was like a historic czech lager which is you know a very mm, traditional um you know one of the found one of the key um beer traditions in um in like the world of beer so uh we're really happy to have it in our list to finally have uh, some czech producers to uh be able to sell that's great and i'm US. glad you mentioned your 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 your, your traditional styles because it, it is true i mean a few years ago we, we did a tasting uh looking at uh, we talked about 1840 imagine beer styles that were around before 1840 and Mateus mentioned it but all those styles you mentioned alt beers um keller beers these all go back Let's talk a little bit more about this this, this German Czech beer history and, and, and these styles. And I I know that that probably those older beers had some smoke to them. But let's talk a little bit more about the styles in particular. Maybe what, what appeals to you about it, Matthias, since you've made such a focus uh, for your company around them. Well, um for me, Bamberg. In, in this case, let's let's uh, um, talk to um, a little bit. Talk about Bamberg and, and Matthias Troman echt Schlengler, um, basically the classic um, world classic smoke beer brewery in in Bamberg. Um, and actually, the building uh, goes way back to the to the 14th century, if I remember correctly. And then the brewery started like in, in the 16th century. What we have here um, to taste is a, a a it's called echt, we call it echt Schlengler Helles Mürzen. Um, and it was um, created by Matthias Trum, and it's a, a wonderful complex hybrid. 
Um, it, it's based on actual um, um, Glehalis, um, which is, funny enough, um, not smoked at all. It just goes with the same um, um, equipment as, as his smoked beer and use the same yeast, so it brings in uh, smoky characters. And after it's, it's done, he, 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 it's, it's basically going back to the classic uh, traditional uh, uh, method of croisoning. He adds uh, fresh, young, green beer to it, but not the Halles. He's adding um, the actual English Rauchbier to it, about 15% of it. Um, and then he um, um, allows it to, to mature for another four, five, six weeks, or I think up to three months or so. And that's what we're tasting here. It's a bottom fermenting beer. has has wonderful uh, smoky notes to it, uh, brought in from the, the Rauchbier Mertzen. Um, is is kind of... Um, Light in, in, in body, it's, it's it's a session beer because it's it's really carried by by the Hellas. Um, for me, an extraordinary um, idea, an extraordinary expression of of um, of, of a bottom fermenting beer, a session beer um, that incorporates a very very classic traditional method, which is called croisoning. I would also say that in terms of the Ralph beer style, right? This is lovely, by the way. I've never had this. This is this just adds like a layer of sessionability onto your. <laughs> But this is the the Schlenkel Helles Merzen. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, in Europe, it's called uh, Krausen, but yeah, yeah. And this is and I love that technique of adding fresh, freshly, you know, primary fermenting beer on top. The Krausen technique, which is which is fantastic. Um, for anyone who hasn't drank Rauch beer, if you haven't experienced this, Schlenkeler is probably your first. It's probably your first adventure into that that realm. Um, most people, I would say, this is a relatively polarizing style for a lot of people if they're not sort of into an understanding of the cultural significance of this particular beer, right? The understanding that most malt was probably at least marginally smoky up until the 19th century, things like that. But I would suggest that give it two pints, right? Give it at least two. Three. Give it three pints. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, but exactly. So there's a rule. That I think yep. the rule in Bomberg is, yep. is three pints if, That's it, right. if, if it's your first time, the right? First, the first pint, you hate it. And, and so most people will stop. And some people say, okay, I'm already kind of half drunk. Let's give me a second pint. The second <laughs> pint is, is, gets through much easier. And then they are getting even more drunk. And then the third pint, they absolutely, if they get to the third pint, um, then they love it. But you find the subtlety. You find the hop character. And there's a verdant hop character in the background of this particular beer. Um, you find all that stuff, but it does, it does take a few pints. Michael, to knock, knock ein Bier bitte. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're learning a little German as we as we talk Krausening. Well, this is fun. So so um you know, the the so the this is the Bamberg beer that you brought? Yes. Yep. This one. Well, and, and another thing to mention too, you know, we we're talking about Hellas here, um and this is uh, another sort of uh further extension of the legacy of of the Pilsner. Um and it's important to talk about too because after uh 1842, Pilsner quickly became very popular. Um, and around you know 1870 uh, and on, this style of beer really started to like take over. Uh, and so you had a lot of German breweries that started to try to emulate the Pilsner beer. Um, so the Hellas was born uh, in the late 1800s and 1890. I think Spaten brewed the first Hellas. Um, and uh, you see the birth of something like uh, Kolsch, which we'll taste later. Um, this is, was really a response to the popularity of these pale lagers. Um, even something like alt beer was was brewed in response to uh, the Pilsner style. Uh, and then, of course, you had a lot of German breweries that would emulate this Pilsner style as well. And we have Einbecker Pils here, which we'll also taste. This is a very sort of very different take on the Pils in general. And you'd think, you know, if, at, at first glance that they're very similar. But, uh, you know, a German Pils and a Czech lager are very, very different. Um, and then even the uh, even the English ale brewers, they even had to respond to this style by, you know, brewing these lighter styles of ale uh, in uh, in England and in the UK in general. And then Pilsner, or well, lager itself became very popular in, in Scotland, actually. But anyway. Well, one um, thing about the Be United portfolio, you guys can all answer this. You, you've stuck with certain certain brands like Schneider, Schlenkerle, Reisdorf, you know, Uriga for the for the alt beers uh, for so many years. What is it? What is it? like for you Matthias, to bring in a, a, a new brand like these these Czech breweries um, we've always looked at, at at these breweries um and and because Czech Republic is really one of the classic um historic um um 
brew countries. You know, there is obviously Germany, there's Belgium, there's UK, but there's always Czech Republic. Um, it was just, has always been, um, of at least over the past 20, 25 years, um, difficult um, to do it from a, from, a from a market perspective. There was not really a market here uh, for it. And second of all, um, you cannot just bring them in because you're not getting them. You cannot just go there and say, okay, I want to buy um, your bottles or, or, and then bring it over to the United States. They would not give it to you. So you need to build an infrastructure first uh, before you are able to do that. Um, and then the market has to develop. Um, I... I think a great example is St. Georgenbräu Keller beer, that the beer that we started with. We actually, it was part of our um, portfolio when we started in 1994-1995. And the beer has not changed, but in 94-95, the timing was not right. People were not into beers like this. Uh, they were uh, starting to learn much more about ales, and, and so wheat beers um, uh, came alive, um, and then the Belgians um, obviously uh, uh, pushed it quite a bit. Um, we... we <coughs> At that time, after two or three years, we basically had to give up on, on, on Georgenbräu um, and, and the Keller beer. Not because the beer was not fantastic. The beer is fantastic. Just the market was not right. Um, um, about almost two years ago, um, when we saw the, the change in market, um, consumers are starting to, to be extremely interested in, in lager, in great bottom fermenting beers. Um, we, um, I contacted um, St. Georgenbräu again and said, I think this time the timing is right. And, and so far, um, it, 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 has, uh, it has proven correct. And what about for you guys, Br bringing in new brands and, you know, testing the market? or You don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like I mentioned before that I thought that um, the Czech Republic was one element that we were missing in, um, in the Be United book. And, uh, yeah, I'm really proud to have um, a beer from the Czech Republic that I can... Uh, sell to accounts. So I think it's really great to have such an example uh, available to U.S. drinkers. And um, because of our infrastructure, uh, we were able to convince these breweries, which are considered um, in the Czech Republic, to, to be really great breweries. That um, I mean, it, it really um, it was not easy getting these guys to come on board. It took convincing. And it was because of the temperature-controlled tank containers and because of our system in Connecticut that uh, they agreed to um, to come on board with us. And, and one of the things now, obviously, we are, we are working with two uh, wonderful Czech, uh, small breweries in the Czech Republic. And obviously, they have a, they have a, um, not a, a huge portfolio, but they have wonderful seasonals. And so we are going to get started um, with, with those seasonals uh, as well. One of the things that was... Uh, obviously um, worked out really well um, when we got the Unetitschke Pivovar and also the Hostomice um, Dark Lager. Uh, when we kegged it, we, sh we, we went all the way, we shipped it to California and, and also Portland, Oregon and also Seattle, Washington State. And we were a little bit nervous about it, but the feedback um, via Instagram, via social media was incredible. And obviously we forwarded it to, to, to both breweries in Czech Republic and they're ex excited about it. So um, the beers are very, very fragile. They're very sensitive. You have to treat them very, very correctly. Uh, will they ever, uh, you know, you cannot really scale them up in, in a way and say, okay, now we are bringing in tons and tons of stuff. I don't think it will work that way, but you have to treat every, almost every keg like as an individual wonderful unit. And, and you have to make sure that it goes to accounts that appreciate it and 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 and, and tap it right away uh, as quickly as possible um, the shelf life of these beers is um i would i would say maybe three months or something like this i i would i i i, I would uh yeah because they're completely unfiltered they're un un unpasteurized i would i would uh, i would be very uh, that's what we assume it, it's a very short period of time Hold on one second. We're going to take another short break, Matt. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Oh, oh, oh. 
Okay, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network, celebrating 10 years in food radio and beer radio. All right. Uh, we're talking uh, lagers, Czech lagers, Bamberg lagers here with Mr. Mateus Needhart of Be United and crew. Mateus, um, I'm going to go back to this, the St. Georgen, uh, the, the Keller beer. You know, I, I love these styles. When I say lager, I, I think we covered some of the different styles and colors. You know, there's darker and amber. I'm, I'm always looking for a dark lager. You've got alt beers. Uh, the, the, the Schlenkler portfolio seems to really um, cover all the, co- all the colors and strengths of lagers. Um, you want to talk about that? Just to just, just, you're saying that lagers are simpler than ales, but in some ways, there's, especially in Germany, there's so many different styles of lagers. Bock beers are lagers too, aren't they? Yes, yep. yes they are. And you know the, the, the Bock beers and the double Bock beers and and um, um, but <coughs> I mean by pure definition, Chris, I don't know how you see it, but by pure yeah. definition, if you if you now you have um, basically the yeast works at at cold temperature um, anywhere between thirty five and thirty eight, thirty nine degrees Fahrenheit, it works there. Um, there you're already taking out a lot of parameters that you can work with in 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 in, in the area of of ales so once it's so you reduce that that also means um what's left over um it's it's basically your your water it's your different types of hops and and malt and and Keep in mind, in Germany, they, they truly believe in the German purity law, so that's it. You cannot play around with anything else. And, and the Czech Republic, the, 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 um, the historic breweries, they basically follow the same idea. Um, they don't do any... They are not going outside these ingredients. Um, and so, um, again, the parameters you can work with are much more limited. Therefore, the end result will be a much um, a smaller variety of, of different interpretations of lagers that you can create. However, if you're a fantastic brewmaster, that's all you need. You can create fantastic lagers. Yeah, def- definitionally, you're taught in beer, you know, to sort of help, you know, the hierarchy of beer is ale and lager, and then you kind of look at the substyles, right, from an international perspective. Um, when you look at the more traditional brewing cultures, and back to your point really quick, Matthias, the, the, the other point you made, which was that I think education and the educated beer drinker is really unlocking um, a lot of this demand, right? Because when you understand the story, when you understand the background, when you understand the passion that goes into that, the fact that you had to you had to twist their arm incredibly hard to get them just to send over thirty five hex of beer, right? Which is a drop in the bucket compared right. to their annual production. Um, it's amazing to think about that, right? And that's another heartening feature about the American beer consumer in, in terms of what you guys do as an importer. Um, but when you look at the definition of ales and lagers, um, that's one thing that we learned. But over in continental Europe, uh, and I don't have too much firsthand experience with this, but from what I've seen, it's more about that process, right? It's more about the lagering itself, right? It's more about the way you treat the products. Certainly, the yeast has something to do with it right. um, and is a huge part of it. But in terms of what you do, that process that you stick to, the reason you do those things, that's more, that technique is really sort of speaks more to the style, I think, in a lot of cases than the actual chemical definition of what's going on there's right. no question about it i mean look when you talk to the czech um czech brewers um in in, the, in that category when you talk to the german brewers in in, in, in it it's really uh, it's about the method it's about the process uh, just talking about double decoction uh, they would not go away from double decoction even if you in these days uh you you could use different methods as well which but is they, incredibly inefficient way of great. brewing that is exactly right. decoction mashes yep. are for the most part non-existent in american yeah that's yep. correct and you and you talk to most American brewers, and they'll just say, "Oh, it's cool. We can throw in, you know, some caramel malt or some melanoid malt. It's the same deal." But for the Czech brewers, that is in effect like law. You have to you have to do double or triple decoction on on, the, on these beers, and that process is critical. Yeah, and then you know the, the the fermentation time, obviously, but also the maturation time. The maturation time is so much longer than than um, in in the in the world of ales. But even with, within lager breweries or so, um, the uh, the maturation time is 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 critical. It's it's crucial to allow all these complex flavors, aromas at at a cold temperature to come together and create something special. It it just takes an enormous amount of time. Well, it seems and like it's a very strange time in in the world of beer where craft beers growing around the world but if you go to you know it seems like 2018 was the year of i can open a brewery in any country 
buy the same equipment and make the same styles of hazy IPAs anywhere in the world. <laughs> and yet, what are these great traditional beers, you know, that well, I really want to drink? Right, right. And, you know, I think another thing to note, too, here is, is you know, as Chris was saying earlier, there's, with a lot of these styles, there's very little to hide behind with, with, these, with these lagers. And, uh, you know, the focus really with, with all of these beers is, is on ingredients and the quality of these ingredients. I mean, Schlankerla is malting their own barley, uh, as is, like, uh, most Czech brewers. They're floor malting their barley. Uh, they're sourcing the best Saz hops that they can. Um, and that's really critical for these beers. Uh, because again, as as Chris was saying, there's little to hide behind here. I, I think one thing is that it takes a lot of hard work to make a good lager. I remember a few years ago, there weren't too many really good pilsners being made in New York, and uh, Folk's Beer, which at the time was a newer brewery in Brooklyn, he made one one pilsner that that yeah. summer, and and he said, you know, it, it almost killed me because I had I had to keep the beer in the fermentation tanks for so long, but that Pilsner that came out was the best Pilsner I had that it's, year. I mean, the technique is and processes are critical, and, you know, again, this is something Chris mentioned earlier, when it, when you go into a brewery and you ask for, you know, you ask about their lager, I think it's the best indication of, of a good brewer because it shows that their technique is really spot on because it has to be. There's no room for error. And and folks beer specifically, shout out to those guys. Um, the old Bavarian lager they make, the OBL. That Hellas, um, it's just it's it's just gotten better and better over the years, and that's an example of a local brewery in the U.S. taking pride in their lager brewing techniques in the way that they've made this beer, and the fact that every time I have a pint of it, I want five more pints of it, and then the next time I go, I want an even more bet. You know, I want I, I have even greater desire for that because there is something so beautiful and sublime about. Um, dialing something in to the point where it is perfect, right? And I think that that's true from a cultural perspective. I think your consumer in Europe is looking for a very different thing than your American consumer, right? So that's one thing. But um, just looking at, you know, the overall kind of paradigm shift in the U.S. in terms of how we look at beer, um, the more you drink these beers, the more you understand those types of things. That's really where you need to be. That's great. A C- couple other shout-outs. So we just drank the Einbecker Pills. Mateus, t- t- you know, you've had relationships with these yes. breweries for so many years. Huge. Tell us about Einbeck, or yeah. how huge. you got to know them, how you developed that relationship. Plus, huge. It, it just shows um, how um, challenging it is um, to, to work with breweries um, in, in their mindset. Einbecker, Ein from the get-go, it's a very historic brewery. goes back many, many uh, hundred years. Um, they... Um, th- for Americans, very hard to believe their core packaging is green bottles. Um, and they are very, very proud of it. And they would never change it. Um, and the German consumer has accepted it. Um, extremely difficult to sell in the United States because we all know, every American knows, green bottles are the least protective, um, besides clear bottle, the least protective bottle. So you have got to always be concerned about uh, light damage in there. And, and so there's diacetyl and, and, and skunkiness and all kinds of th- threats out there. Um, um, Finally, we talked to to, um, to to the brewmaster at Einbeck or so. They um, uh, agreed to put the Einbecker Brauhan Pilsner um, in in cans for United States, um, and and we just opened a can, and it's it's like day and night. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful pils, uh, pilsner, very different from from you know from the lagers that we had, but it's a true pilsner with a wonderful a uh, hollow tower, a uh, hoppy character to it, a, a dryness to it. Uh, I I think it's special. And this is for, phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And yeah. and you have and for me the phenomenal thing is when you compare it to a bottle version, it's like totally night and day. It's, it's really phenomenal. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've never had an Einbecker Pils so good. Yeah, this is the first time I've tried it. That's impressive. It's very different from your your Czech Pilsners, obviously. Um, you, you know, you, you find this is like a much edgier beer. Uh, you know, the water is harder in Einbeck than it is in in uh, in Pilsen, uh, and this really changes the beer. And of course, the the differing hop varieties used too. You know, we're going to wrap up soon, but let's just do a quick rundown. So, Chris, we started by talking about the different uh, gravities and colors of 
of Czech lagers. We're trying to talk about the world of lagers. So I can go and get what? What's the name of the brewery that we had before? Unatiki? Unatiki Pivovar, but it's only available on draft and we basically, we are, we are sold out. Um, next uh, thing coming in in about three weeks uh, via 10 containers is from Hostomichi Pivovar. It's their dark lager. It's a 14 degree dark lager. So I could get a 14 dark. That's right. That's that's right. In during the, uh, during um, this coming year, we'll bring in other um, um, uh, seasonals from both breweries, and they will all vary, and they will all go by numbers. We'll bring it for summertime a, a ten a ten uh, a degree, a ten uh, blato, which is like barely four percent or so for wintertime, uh, um, and and light in color. And then for wintertime next year, uh, this later this you know coming November December, uh, maybe a fifteen sixteen degree or so a dark color again. It's kind of fun. It's kind of like Spinal Tap, you know, turn it up to 11. <laughs> I, I, I do know about Czech lagers, and I've had them before, and I, I love this 10, 12, 14. It's kind of fun when you have the beer coming from their brewery, whether it's seasonally or just you happen to have it. Say, well, I really like the 12 more than the 10. Or right. the, the funny part is, if I can say that, because the Trappist Breweries also use numbers uh, very often, but they don't... They don't match, so the check numbers are very, very different from when you when you look at Rush for ten or like a, a twelve Westphalian or so. It's very, very different. Unestitche people were the twelve degree is a twelve. It's a twelve degree is about barely five percent. Uh, it measures, you know, just the the, the amount of sugar in, in in the world or so. The next uh, podcast will do how to say all these check terms. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, we're bringing some Czech guys, you know. <laughs> hey, um, and then the last beer. So the next generation. So, you know, your son, Ben. Yep, yep. Let's talk quick. We did a show a few years ago. If you look it up, On Location at Be United and OEC is a great episode. Yeah. So, and, and Ben was is, has always been uh, very intrigued by, by, by Czech Republic, uh, by these classic traditional beer styles. Um, so in, at OEC, they developed an um, OEC Pilsner. Um, which is basically exactly the same using the same method as as back in Czech Republic. It's double decoction, um, and he uses uh, not Czech um, desserts a variety. He uses Tetnana Hillsbrook and Spalt hops. Um, then he varies with it. Then he ages it. He ferments for five days. Then he um, he ferm- um, ferments it for three weeks in oak barrel, and you can taste it um, already. Um, brings in a, a, a kind of a beautiful sourness in there, and then it's aged for eight eight weeks. A little bit dry hopped then with um, Hersbrugger, I believe, and that's what we are tasting right now. So the OEC, it's from Connecticut. Do you think that what Ben's doing at OEC, is is he like Going back to 19th century yeah. styles. Yes, has always been. When you read about um, OEC, also the Latin name, um, he, he, he has always played around. He has always been intrigued and inspired by old historic recipes. And he wants to um, add his own interpretation to it, a modern interpretation. But it has always been um, about classic historic styles. So it's, it's like a, an, an old... Uh, Brew system with yep. open fire, yep. and then it goes right off the tanks into a, a cool ship, right? It goes in a cool ship, um, goes into an open fermenter. We have different fermentation vessels uh, made from um, granite or um, um, what else do we have? Concrete. Concrete we yeah. have. Um, we have an amphora, and then it always goes Some into... stainless, really Stainless advanced, we have, yeah. Really and then advanced. we have... Uh, and then always goes into oak barrels. This one in straight oak barrels, uh, sometimes or very often in, 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 in wine barrels, red wine or white wine barrels. It's nice. It's funny. It, it, this is the the new world pilsner. Yep. But this taste is <laughs> right. probably more old world than anything else we've yeah, had today. Yeah. Uh, any last questions? You know, Chris, it's great having you here. And the first time you've met Matthias, you know, you, you know a lot of the brands, Reisdorf, Schneider. Any last question for for Matthias? No specific question for you guys. Huge fan of the portfolio, like I said earlier. Um, and I'm just, I guess, I would implore all the beer drinkers out there, everybody who's listening to this. Um, Try Be United's portfolio. Try traditional European styles. Um, it will make you a better beer drinker. It will make you respectful and understanding of the process and the effort that goes into a beautiful Czech Pilsner, into a beautiful Chernay that you might have next time you go to continental Europe and try these things. It's worth it. It's worth doing those kinds of things. And I, I love it. And George, on the spot. Yes. So I want to do at my local pub this weekend a survey of traditional German beer styles 
what give me four beers I should try from your portfolio so I get a real oh. broad sense of German beer. Okay, well that's that's a t- that's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> Just I would four. say Schneider. uh, Schneiderweiss. Of course. I would say Reisdorf. Kolsch. Uh, Reisdorf Kolsch, yep. Um St. George of Brad Keller beer. So that's a, that's a good one. You could do Einbecker Pilsner too, but definitely Schlankerla. You you need some smoked beer in there. And maybe um, something from Dusseldorf. Oh yeah, Erga Alt beer, definitely. Is the sticker that one? Now the um, it's on its way to us also in in, in a temperature controlled um, container. The Erga sticker this time the the Rhone, which is basically dry, dry hopped with Hersberger, um, was filled in our tank um, like two weeks ago, and it's on its way to us. So it's it's a very special once a year sticker version um, that basically elevates the sticker to um, even more kind of a, a hoppy aroma in, in, in finish. And the stick is the, the alt beer, the doppelsticker. That's right. The darker. That's right. Guys, this has been an awesome show. And Mateus, it's so great to have you back. We haven't had you on for a couple years. George, Michael, always great having you guys. And Chris. Thanks, Jimmy. Um, listen, all I can say is we're going to do more shows like this. I'm, I'm very inspired today. And thank you all so much. Um, once again, everyone say their name one more time. Go around the room, please. I'm Matthias uh, with Be United. I'm George with Be United. Michael Opolensky with Be United. Uh, Chris with the Brew Enthusiast. <laughs> all right. And big shout out to our producer, Justin Kennedy, engineer Matt Patterson, intern Dylan Hoyer. I'm Jimmy Carboni, the host of Beer Sessions Radio. We'll catch you next time on the Heritage Radio Network. All right, guys. Woo! Woo! Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.